Thank you, worship team. Well, we've been in this series where we've been answering some uh, big questions about Christianity. And one thing we love to do uh, at Rockbrook is clear up misconceptions about Christianity, about God, about church, about the Bible. And this is an area where there are so many misunderstandings. The question today is what about heaven? Now, we knew you were going to ask this one uh, because of this verse right here, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has set eternity into the human heart. So even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in God, you're not going to get away from the fact that eternity is set in your heart. And one of the first questions that amazes me, one of the first questions we have when it comes to the topic of eternity and heaven, will it be boring? Will it be boring? It's amazing that we think that way because, and it's because, I mean, the devil has put a lot of bad propaganda out there about heaven. As we just picture this all white on clouds, um, you know, and we see this in movies and cartoons and books and, and even church literature and some of the hymns and the songs we sing lead us to believe that in heaven we will just be standing there worshiping and singing forever. Now, as a worship leader, part of that is kind of cool to me, but then I think about like forever, like 10,000 years, the same song, like couldn't we just, you know, flip the script a little bit, do something different, but that's not really what uh, the Bible leads us to believe about heaven. Now, several years ago, Starbucks did a thing called The Way I See It, and it was on the side of their cups, it was quotes uh, from many different kinds of authors and things that they had contributed. And some of them were cute, but some of them were just ridiculous. And this one is from Joel Stein, the way I see it, number 230 in 2007. He says, heaven is totally overrated. It seems boring. Clouds, listening to people play the harp. It should be somewhere you can't wait to go, like a luxury hotel. Maybe blue skies and soft music were enough to keep people in line in the 17th century, but heaven's got to step it up a bit. They're basically getting by because they only have to be better than hell. Now, nothing in the Bible would lead us to assume that heaven looks like that or will be boring. It's a place you want to go. Everyone will like heaven. That in itself is a miracle because not everyone likes anything here on earth. Have you ever noticed how two people could go to the same movie and experience the same movie, same theater, same exact experience, have two totally different experiences. One of them loves it, the next person hates it. Ever had that happen? Or you got, you got two people in a house and it's the same temperature for both of them. One is hot, another is cold. My wife is, is pregnant. We're due in January with a, a boy. And it is amazing how often she is 1,000 degrees. She'll say, I am a thousand degrees right now. He says, well, it's the same temperature for both of us right now. I'd actually, I don't say anything. I don't say <laughs> Just leave that alone. Thank you. You can have two people in a church service singing a song. You see them standing next to each other. One person, hands up, crying, singing off key, snot bubbles, just loving it. Person standing next to them, when? are we going to stop repeating this chorus? We've been singing the same thing for minutes. And you just see one person will hear a message. The person sitting next to them will hear the exact same message in the exact same service, in the exact same room, in the exact same way. One of them was tremendously inspired. The other couldn't care less. And that's just how it is on earth. But it's a miracle that in heaven, everyone will like heaven. What will heaven be like? 
Well, let's start with this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know, so the Bible wants you to know, why? Because you'd live differently if you knew. If we knew what eternity is like, it would change our perspective on earth, and it it would change the way we live. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. We grieve, okay? We grieve, we mourn, but not like everybody else. Why? Because we have a hope, we know something, we, we have a place. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. So this refers to their bodies. Their souls, they're separated from their bodies now. They're in heaven. They'll come back with God, be reunited with their bodies. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There'll be this grand reunion. And then we will live with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And that's what I want to do today. I want to encourage you. Now, this is something I have been surprised by in studying heaven, and and many people are surprised when they study what the Bible has to say about the afterlife, and that is how little the Bible has to say about the moment you die, like the moment you take your last breath. What happens to you as soon as you die? Where does my soul go the moment I take my last breath? The Bible says shockingly little about that moment. There's a little bit here and there, but you have to piece it together. But it's just not a major teaching in the scripture. Because what happens to you when you die is far less important to you than what happens to you when you rise again. And that's what this passage in Thessalonians is referring to. It's saying believers have gone on to be with the Lord, but there's going to be this moment. They're really waiting for this moment when everyone rises again and the Lord returns, when Jesus returns and the dead rise again. There is a cemetery in New Haven, Connecticut on Grove Street, and it's called the Grove Street Cemetery, and it happens to be one of the most famous cemeteries in the United States. It was built in the 1700s, and many, many famous people from the 1800s are buried there. Senators, Civil War heroes. What you'll see when you visit the cemetery is this iron fence, and then this stone gate, and etched in the stone is this statement, the dead shall be raised. One literary critic has said that that period at the end of that statement is the most eloquent and sublime punctuation ever etched into stone the dead shall be raised period no qualifiers no exceptions no stipulations everyone rises again the dead shall be raised period and that's what it's all about it's not really about what happens to you the moment you die because the moment you die you are separated from your body and you're waiting for the main 
event, the day when every cemetery will be emptied and everyone will be raised at the same time. Everyone, regardless of when you die, gets raised on the same day. And it's a definitive day at the end of history. It's called the day of the Lord or that day or the day of all days, which everything is pointing to. And there is a person for whom it happened early. And that person is Jesus Christ. And the reason Jesus' resurrection is such a big deal is not only because through his resurrection he proved that he's the Son of God, but it's also a preview of our resurrection and what it will be like. Paul calls it the first of a very great harvest. It's a sneak peek. Jesus proves to everyone that death is not the end. Everyone rises. So let's look briefly here at what happens the moment a believer dies. The Bible describes, some people call it a present heaven. Some people call it an intermediate heaven. Uh, But it's heaven as it is now. It's where people who have gone on to be with the Lord are. And and don't get me wrong, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. It's, It's heaven. Jesus mentions on the cross where the thief next to him repented. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And paradise here means a temporary place to rest and refresh until you go to another place. And a lot of people think that it's in the clouds, that it's with mansions. But the word mansions is used only once, and it's in John 14, 2. And only in one translation, that's the King James Version, where it says, in my father's house are many mansions, Uh, but the word doesn't really mean mansions. It means, you could say, a temporary accommodation. You don't own it. You enjoy it. You You don't live there forever. It's not it. But it's wonderful. It's the Father's house. And and you're resting and refreshing until the main event. That's where heaven is right now. It's a paradise like a park, like a garden. It's a temporary place. You're separated from your body. You're clothed in some way. uh, But you're waiting until the day of resurrection where you rise and, and, and go on to what Bible describes as the new heaven. And that's where you'll spend eternity. And it's described all throughout the book of Revelation where John saw a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So generally we think about us going up to heaven But really, heaven is coming down to earth. The earth is actually going to be purified with fire. It's not going to disintegrate. It's not going to be eliminated. It's going to be purified. It's going to be renewed with fire. It's going to be made new and returned back to the paradise that God made uh, similarly to the Garden of Eden. And heaven will be part of the new earth. And some of the Bible calls it the new Jerusalem, calls heaven the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. It's going to be a perfect earth with this amazing holy city called heaven. And we're not floating around with white robes. There's going to be, it's not, not everything will be white. God created color. In fact, colors will be enhanced. Be new. It's going to be beautiful. And we're actually going to be able to enjoy everything about earth 
in its perfected form and have a city, a heaven, called the New Jerusalem where Jesus dwells. And this affirms the dignity of what God has made. Why would God make bodies if he just wants to get rid of them? Why would God make all of creation if he just wants to get rid of it? Why would God make earth only to get rid of it? He doesn't want to get rid of it. God is in the business of making all things new. He wants to redeem it. He wants to renew it. He doesn't say, oh, let me get you out of that icky place. No, he says, I'm going to make all things new. And I'm going to turn them into the way that they were supposed to be. And it will bring me glory. And it's, it's not about going up to heaven. It's about heaven coming down, purifying the earth. So here's some things that we know about heaven. I'd love for you to write these down. Number one, heaven is a real place. It's a real place. Now, the prominent, dominant philosophy in other religions is that matter is bad. Matter is bad. Being physical is bad. The physical world is bad. And that only the pure get to escape the physical world. God does not see it that way. That is not how God looks at creation. A human being is a body, soul, and spirit. They're separated at death but reunited at the resurrection. And what God is saying through Jesus' resurrection is that being human is not bad. Being human is good. And when you die and rise again, you don't turn into an angel in heaven. You don't evolve into something uh, with wings. You don't turn into another, any other thing. Being human is good. Being human, being physical, matter is good. And heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is not peace. Heaven's not some celestial retirement home. It's real. It's physical. It's a physical place. Now we know that about heaven because uh, the Bible actually measures it. Revelation 21, 14. The city was laid out like a square. You'll see as it describes it, it's even more like a cube. As long as it was wide... He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. That's 1,400 miles in every direction, as wide and high as it is long. So it's a physical place. Heaven is a physical place located on a purified earth. And you'll have this beautiful new earth and be able to visit this beautiful heavenly city where Jesus dwells. And it's going to be amazing. I, what an understatement for you. It will be amazing. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot more like earth than, than we realize. But it's going to be less like earth than we could ever imagine. Because all we've ever experienced on earth is a messed up earth. A broken earth. A earth full of sin. All we've experienced with other people is sinful people. But the earth is, isn't going to be messed up. It's going to be renewed and redeemed. And you might say... Ryland, I, I don't know. I don't want my body back. Like my body is, doesn't do what I want it to do. It limits me. In fact, my body is the source of all my problems in my life. I don't want my body back. In fact, I, I mean, I really don't want it back because I got this tattoo in college. Ain't nobody want to see in heaven. So, <laughs> But imagine if you could have your body and have all the good parts abandon all the negative. You would enjoy your body. You would enjoy having a body. You would not be limited by it. It would be an asset. 
And you get to keep all the good things about having a body. You might say the same thing about a city. I don't, heaven's a city? I don't like cities. Like, I moved to Cass County to get away from cities. Like, I like the middle of nowhere. Like, God is where creation is. But God likes cities. Imagine a city... If God's throne is there, God offices in the city, he's the mayor of the city and he's established everything the way he wants it to be and bodies are glorified and people are redeemed and renewed. Like you may actually like being around people. You may actually like a crowd. Like you may actually like a city because right now cities, they give us the worst experiences in the world. More trash, more poverty, more crime, more rats. But if God's officing there, If Jesus dwells there, you're going to like a city. That's because heaven is a right place, meaning everything is made right. No sickness, no insurance, thank God. No terrorism. It's a perfect place. It's a perfect place where the Bible says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And people who say, well, I'm not really looking forward to heaven. I I like it down on earth. People say, it doesn't get any better than this. They've attached themselves to this order of things. This order is going to pass away. And there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. Heaven is a relational place. You're going to be able to enjoy relationships. Did you write that in? It's a relational place. Now, there won't be marriage in heaven, but any emotion you think you could have with another person, you're not even going to want it to give it to anyone else as much as you want, it to, want to give it to God himself. Revelation 21.3, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The best part of heaven is that God himself will be there. The best part of the new heaven, the new earth is that God is there and we get to be with God like Adam and Eve were with God before they sinned against him. The image that underscores this continuity between the beginning and the end is the image of the tree of life. The tree only pops up in two places in the Bible. It's in the early chapters of Genesis and then the late chapters of Revelation. And in the beginning, we didn't eat from the tree of life. We ate from the tree we were commanded not to even touch. And we, were, we ate from the one we weren't supposed to eat from. So God banished us from the garden and banished us from the tree of life. And we might think, well, how mean of God to, lo- to not let us eat from the tree of life. Until you realize that the entire rest of the Bible, the entire rest of existence as we know it, is God doing everything to restore our access to the tree of life. And it's not easy. He can't snap his fingers and make it so. Things have to unwind and somebody has to die. Jesus has to die for us to get access to the tree of life. And things have to unwind, but he opens up the tree of life once again in heaven. And it says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. How amazing that this book written by so many different people over thousands of years, but you have this incredibly tight narrative structure, the beginning and the end, written by two different people, 
so many years apart in different languages, living in different countries, how could, how could, how could the story be so tight? It's because God wrote it. And he wrote it to tell us how we're dead and lost without him and how he's getting us back. Now, just as an aside, this, this word here, the healing of the nations, that word is ethnos. It means ethnic groups, like people groups or nations. And God isn't going to turn us all into one people group, into one looking, uh, same looking human being. There's going to be differences. The ethnic groups, the nations will be celebrated. So you better get used to that now and celebrate it now because that's what it's going to be like in heaven. And heaven is also a rewarding place. And this one motivates the fire out of me. You say, Ryland, are you, are you working for rewards? Absolutely I am. I want to walk in front of my God and have the first thing he say to me is, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with that, with that little bit I gave you. Come in, experience immeasurably more. Because he laid his life down for me. And he gave me salvation as a free gift that I could not earn. I'll say it this way. Salvation is God's work for me. Rewards is my work for God. And I want to do whatever pleases him. And he says he is looking forward to rewarding. Revelation twenty two twelve. Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. He says, I couldn't even wait to give it to you. I'm bringing it with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. He says, I'm so excited to give them to you. I'm, I'm going to bring, the, the word reward there means repayment for. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God, you're going to repay me? How, after everything you did for me? And he says, yes. I want to reward you. I'll explain it this way. What, what we've been calling heaven in this sermon maybe has a better term or phrase. Heaven's great. Heaven's, the Bible uses heaven. But maybe the better phrase is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where God reigns, where God is in control, where his administration has power. And it happens to be the thing that Jesus is talking about constantly in his sermons, in his messages, and his parables. He's constantly saying that the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's small, but it grows into the largest of all trees. Birds come in and nest. So Satan is the the prince of this world now. He's the mayor now. But one day the kingdom of God will come. It will be a decisive day where he comes in power. But before that happens, there's this seed that's planted and it's growing gradually. And so that's what, what Jesus was kicking off with his miracles. Was He's planting the seed and kicking off the kingdom of God. That's what he was doing when, when he says, look, I have the power to cast out demons. I have the power to put chaos back into order. I have the power to take this broken weather that you're experiencing. And, and turn it into peace and, and bring order into chaos. So when John the Baptist was in prison and he started doubting whether or not Jesus was the Messiah and he sent messengers to ask Jesus about it, Jesus says, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the demons are cast out. It's happening now. What else do you want? The kingdom of God is at hand. He says, the kingdom of God is within you. So in one sense, his rule, his reign 
hasn't happened yet, but in another sense, it has. It's a seed that's, that's growing because he says to the church, you're already to be a city on a hill. You're already to act as citizens of heaven. The Spirit of God has come and lives among His people. So we are supposed to bear witness with our actions that Jesus came the first time and that He will come again. Jesus started it. He will finish it. But in the meantime, He leaves it to us to carry it on. That's why He loved telling stories about a master giving his servants work to do. Then he goes on a long journey and then the master comes back and rewards accordingly of who was about the business of the master while the master was away. Don finished his message with one of those parables last week because Jesus was constantly telling stories of the master giving work to do, leaving coming back and seeing who was about the business of the kingdom. And that's our job now, to do the work of bringing order out of chaos. It's the church's job to wipe tears, to bring peace, to bring justice, to be a city on a hill now and then reward accordingly. And he says, because every time you had that good attitude, Because every time that you stopped and prayed with that hurting person, every time you shared that I was alive, you prayed in Jesus' name and you told them that I was alive and that I loved them and you cared for them and you showed them what God is really like and how you faithfully gave your time, how you faithfully used the things I'd given you to serve and how you faithfully gave the money that you earned, even though some weeks it was tough, some years it was hard, but you did it. When you shared the gospel with that other person, when you opened your home up to those teenagers and you led that small group for those teens and, and, and you showed them what I'm really like and you just loved on them, he says, I'm coming to reward that because that was the work of the kingdom of God. And I tell you that today because, because you're going to be glad you heard it. You're going to be glad, glad you know it. Now, pastor preached a whole message on, on the rewards, on treasures in heaven. It's, it's the Bema Seat judgment. And he's preached several messages. He loves preaching on that. And uh, there's a really great one back in June of 2015 in the Legacy series where he preaches on treasures in heaven. Look at Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Heaven is the number one motivator for how we live our lives. We should do whatever it takes to focus on where we spend eternity. The vast majority of our life. So what do we do? So often when the Bible talks about heaven, when it talks about eternity, it then tells us how we ought to live. So this message would be incomplete if, if we didn't talk about living in light of eternity. Let's look at Titus 2. It says, For the grace of God has been revealed, now that's Jesus, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but, but after Jesus saves you, he then instructs you to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. That, that's not only evil. It doesn't say turn you know, only from, from evil. It's it's to cast off every weight. So a lot of us, you know, we're not doing evil. We're not doing sinful things. But maybe we're not doing the right thing. 
So what should we do? We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. How do we do this? How do we live in light of eternity? First thing we got to do is we got to re-aim our life. I'll say it this way, write this in. I got to refocus my energies. Look at the place you're going, not the place you are. You got to keep your eyes on the prize and you got to wear this life like a loose garment. You kind of got to use it and wear it, but, but don't let it attach itself to you. You're a citizen of heaven. So I'm going to use my money, my time, my efforts, my ideas, and I'm going to leverage it all. I'm going to say, is there a way I could take everything that I am and redirect it toward heaven? Redirect it toward the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He says, you got to figure out a way. You know, I don't mind you having treasures on earth, but you got to figure out a way to not just store it up, but leverage it. Figure out a way to make all of your life, your job, your hobby, your passions count for eternity. And a lot of us, we've been discouraged by life because this life will bite you and it'll sting. It'll hurt. But when you remember that you're just passing through, <laughs> you can endure it so much better. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I- I'm hard pressed on every side. But you know, it's not bothering me. I'm persecuted, but it's not bothering me. And this earth is going to burn you bad if you have your hope in it. You know that. I mean, that's why you turn to God. That's why you became a believer. That's why you're in church today because our hope is not in this world. But we're gonna fix our eyes on something else. 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. Circle that, it's temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Circle that, it's eternal. You gotta remember in your life what's temporary And remember what's eternal. And don't ever confuse the two. This life is temporary. The things of this world are temporary. You're a child of God. And that thing you're struggling with, that thorn, that temptation, that hardship, that opposition, that rejection, that need, that thorn is temporary. It's temporary. And when you have that focus, that hope, it changes everything. So in light of eternity, I'm going to refocus. I'm going to remember what's eternal. I'm going to remember what's temporary. And number two, I'm going to reach people. One of the things you have to understand at Rockbrook Church is that we are passionate about reaching as many people as we can. Now, we're not fixated on being bigger just for the sake of being bigger. None of us here are fixated on a number of being a certain size church. We are motivated by the fact that heaven and hell are real eternal places. And people are eternal beings that spend their eternity in one of those two places. And so we're gonna do whatever we can, even if it inconveniences us, even if it's hard, it's not about us. It's about people, because people matter. 
And people are the only thing. Everything on this earth is going to burn. It's going to be purified by fire. Everything. Except for people. People are what matters for eternity. And we'll do whatever we can to reach as many as we can. So there are amazing churches in town. Amazing pastors. We don't claim to be the only ones. But we do some things differently than other churches Because to reach people that no one is reaching, you've got to do some things that no one else is doing. And so that's why we're constantly evaluating our our programming, the the way we do things, because we want to reach as many people as we can, and we want to reach the people no one else is reaching. Jude one twenty two says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. The Bible begs us to do it, and we're going to do it. So if you've come to church this weekend and you've got some hurts, you've got some loose screws, maybe your life is a wreck, you are not only welcome, you are wanted. Like that's not something we just say, you really are wanted here. And the only difference between us and you is that we just got here a little bit sooner. That's it. This is the place for you. Now, here's the last thing in living in light for eternity. But I'm going to give you the verse first before I give you the, the fill-in. It's 2 Peter 3, 13 through 14. Peter's talking and he says, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Here's the thing, there's nothing you can do to become spotless and blameless. You can't remove your spots, you can't get rid of your blame, you cannot be at peace with God without Jesus. Jesus came to get you and God back together. There was a gap, you and God were separated. Some of you have been believers for a long time, but if you think about it, you can remember the gap. The gap between you and God. The Bible says that he removed the dividing wall of hostility so that the two could become one. And some of you don't know the Lord today and you just need to receive that. Some of you, your love for God is there, but it's inconsistent. You really haven't found your way in it. And you need to settle it once and for all. So whoever you are, you need to renew your relationship with God. Write that in. Renew your relationship with God. Write that in and let's bow our heads together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No moving around in this moment. God, thank you for heaven. God, thank you that it's awesome in every way. But the best thing about it is that everything is made right with you and that you are there and we are there with you. Thank you for going to amazing efforts and lengths to show your love for us. Lord, I pray that you would give people encouragement. To those who came in discouraged this weekend, I pray that you would encourage them with this eternal hope that life is temporary, that that the things that they're experiencing, the unpleasant things of this earth, they're temporary. And the rest of us, man, it's so easy for us to be enamored with earth and think it's all about now. 
But God, we're making a fresh commitment to get as much of our lives as possible focused on eternity. God, give us more resources so we can do more for your kingdom. Give us more perspective so we can do more for your kingdom. If you say, Ryland, if I'm honest right now, I know my relationship with God needs to be renewed. And there's some of you that you're not even sure you'd be included in heaven. That that's where your life is headed. All you have to do is believe Jesus is who he said he is. That he died, was buried, that he rose again. And make him the leader of your life. So just pray this out of your heart. Say, Jesus, thank you for living the perfect life I could never live. And dying for me. I should have died, but you died for me. I believe that you died, were buried, and rose again. I believe that you're seated at the right hand of God. I believe you're coming back for me. I give you my life. Make me new. Jesus, take over my life. Be my leader. Change me. Live in me. Help me make my life count for eternity. So Jesus' name I pray. Amen.